Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. And good evening, and we meet again in person and online, and future generations listen to the podcast. And we are not wearing masks, because for those who are with us now, this is the moment that the lockdown in Melbourne eased significantly. Yeah, and masks are coming off. So now we can see people's faces and perhaps interact a bit more as we learn Torah together. We are learning the last verse, the last pasuk of Perirak Lamut. So we've learned about how Yaakov, um, after working seven years for one wife, seven years for another wife, worked for six years for his own, uh, building up his own flock. And he had this uh, arrangement whereby the multicolored sheep uh, and goats would go to him and the other ones would go to Lavan. And by various means, which we will mention again tonight, he enabled a lot of multicolored sheep to be born. And the verse says, And the man burst through, very much. In other words, he had lots of stuff. He had flocks which were rabot. We'll see what Rashi says about that in a moment. And maid servants for Abadim and servants, Ugamalim and camels, Bahamarim and donkeys or asses. So, first of all, what does Rashi say on Son Rabot? Parot Virabot Mishar Son. They were fruitful and multiplied more than other flocks. So, why, uh, what does he mean by Son Rabot? Because I think most of us would have read it as many flocks, but Rashi doesn't read it as many flocks. And there's possibly two reasons. Maybe more. One is, if it did meant many, it would be the word rav, son rav, a big flock. Rabot is something different. For Rashi, it implies it's a, it's a verb, the verb to multiply. But it's also the case, uh, if, if it just said, if it just meant son rabot, that's already covered by yifrot ha'ish ma'od ma'od. The man was very uh, successful, I don't know. The man was very rich, basically. That's what yifrot ha'ish ma'od ma'od means. So obviously he had lots of flocks. So for those two reasons, perhaps, Rashi doesn't translate Son Rabot as many flocks, but rather something about the quality of the flock, not just the quantity. And the quality is Rabot, as in Peru Uruvu, Parot Urabot, more than other flocks. The next thing he says is on the word Ushfochot Abadim. Rashi says, Mocher Tsono Badamim Yekarim. He would sell his flock for lots of money. And he would acquire for himself all of this. And I would nervously suggest that this is a straightforward Rashi, explaining where the Shvachot Ba'avadim Gamalim Bachamarim came from. Because we've just spent the last few verses talking about how he built up his flock of sheep and goats. We understand that. Lots of sheep, lots of goats. Where does that, how does that generate? maidservants and, and servants and camels and donkeys, which were not the sort of things that he was um, engaged in. So Rashi explains that that was part of the wealth that came through the flocks because he would sell his vast and fruitful flock and he would buy other stuff. Now, uh, there's an interesting observation on the order. Um, when Eliezer, back in Parshat Ki Achai uh, was praising his master Abraham in order to encourage the Tuel to let Rivka go and be married to Abraham's son. He said, And in particular, Avadim Ushvachot, male servants before female servants, Whereas here, the Torah describes Yaakov as having all this stuff, female servants before male servants. Now, you might think it's not the biggest deal, and it probably isn't, but it's a question. So I saw an answer, sorry, I forget from whom it came, that said, the, our pasuk here, which is written, as it were, by Hashem, um, is talking, it tells us Yaakov's priorities. For whom were the shvachot? Why did he make, need maidservants? Wives. For his wives, that's that's what maid servants do. They serve women, so he needs maid servants for his wives. Why does he need abadim servants for his flock? 
And which one is Yaakov going to put first? Shvachot. Obviously, he's going to put Shvachot first. He puts the needs of his wife first before the needs of his lot. Hence, Shvachot come before Avadim. Now, when Avraham is being described by Eliezer, he talks about how he had all this son ubakar of a kesef sahav, and he had Avadim Shvachot. Where did all the son of a kesef son of a kesef, a kesef sahav come from? Where did Avraham get all this wealth from? Paro. Ah, very good. Paro. So Paro gives him all this flock, and perhaps as a package deal comes the Avadim who are going to service the flock which Paro is giving him. Only after that comes the Shvachat. So the Avadim are part of the package of the Tzonu Bakar, the Kesav Zahav, the Avadim. And then after the Avadim are covered, then Abraham addresses the needs of his family and includes Shvachat. Uh, having said that, the next words is Gamalim and Chamorim, just like it is for us here, which I suppose on one hand strengthens the question. We have a phrase which is similar but different. On the other hand, I am now troubled. Do I have a good explanation of why it's Sonu Bakar, the Kesev, the Abadim, Ushvachot, and then Ugamalim, the Chamorim? Don't know. Maybe Abadim go with the flock. They're, they are the shepherds. Shvachot go with the family. And then you have the animals which are used in quite a different way from the flocks. They're like the cars that we would have today, camels and donkeys. Okay, we have now finished Perak Lamad, and we now move to Perak Lamad Aleph, which is the beginning of Yaakov's escape from Lavan. And it starts with this, Pasuk Aleph, Vayishma et divrei b'nei Lavan. He heard the words of the sons of Lavan, Interesting, Laban's now got sons, apparently he didn't have that before. Lemor is saying, Lokach Yaakov et kol asher la'avinu. Yaakov has taken all which was to our father, ume asher la'avinu asa et kol hakavod hazer. And from what was to our father, he has asa, which Russia will translate, but we might think means made, kol hakavod hazer. All this great, literally heaviness or honor or wealth. So the sons of Lavan are now talking negatively about Yaakov and they're saying something's fishy going on. Rashi says on the word asa, he translates it as kanas, has brought in, brought together, or maybe acquired. Kamo, like we have in Shmuel Aleph, vayas chayel vayach et amalek. He, um, something about chayel, which is strength or an army, and he then smote Amalek. So what does Vayas Chayel in that Pasuk in Shmuel mean? It can't mean he made an army like from scratch, but rather he gathered together an army. Now, why does Rashi have to say this? Um, the problem is, what does Asa mean? So it can mean make. Uh, Hashem is Osei Shemayim Ba'aretz. But in that sense, making something ex nihilo, making something from nothing is what Hashem does. It's not so much what people do. And even Yaakov was not able literally to make kolakavod hazeh as in were, as in from scratch. Um, only Hashem can do that. Now, what else can asa mean? Interestingly, we have a good example of the two possible meanings in a well-known Rashi um, at the beginning of Bereshit Yudbet, where Abraham goes to Eretz Canaan with eta nefesh asher asu bacharan the souls that they made in Haran. And Rashi brings two interpretations there. One is that they converted them. Uh, not quite sure what they converted them to, because they didn't become Jewish, but they converted them to serving Hashem. And that is a little bit like making somebody brand new. Um, we don't use the phrase born again, but you get the idea that if, they, if Abraham and Sarah converted these people from idolaters into followers of Hashem, it's as if they made them brand new. But Rashi gives another example, another answer, which is the Pshat, which is... They were the Avadim, which they had bought. So we can see from that, and we can see from elsewhere, that Asa can sometimes mean acquire. And Rashi says, in this case, um, he's not converting the animals. He's not making the animals born again. Um, he is acquiring the wealth and the animals and so on. So Rashi tells you it means kanas, as it can. And how do I know it can? Because he brings the Pasuk from Shmuel, where Bayas Chayel obviously means he gathered together the army. It cannot mean he made the army from scratch. Also, 
um, it fits very well with the context of what the sons of Lavan are saying. They're not saying, wow, he's a miracle worker. He's made animals grow from nothing. They're saying he's acquired them. And what they're, they're emphasizing that he's acquired them in the sense of he's acquired them from their father Lavan in a dodgy way. That's the clear implication. So the act of acquisition is what they're complaining about. They're not complaining that he's miraculously made these animals from nothing. They're complaining, Dafka, that he's acquired them in a way of which they don't approve. And that fits, uh, Rashi makes a point by saying when they say asa, it means kanas. Excuse me. <clears throat> Sometimes, like, why? I know Rashi obviously explains why this word asa is used and it can mean kanas, like we said, and to acquire. You're going to say, why doesn't he say kanas? Yeah, why doesn't he uh, Yeah, I don't know. That's a to which I would say, I think three things. Number one, you can always ask that yeah. question. It doesn't mean it's a bad question. You can always ask that question. If Rashi says here, the word A really in this case means the word B, why didn't it use the word B? So the second thing is, I don't know. And the third thing is, there probably always is an answer to that. Um, that sometimes a little bit of duality is deliberately suggested. Um, yes, it's Kanas, but in a sense of us, yeah, I, I, I'm not answering the question, no, but uh, maybe that's a further exercise for us uh, whenever you see this in Rashi or in other Mephoshim, um, to ask that question. What, what's the difference between Asay, which it actually uses, and Kanas, which it actually means? Why does Asay give something a little bit extra? Thank you. Well, thank you for not answering your question. Pasuk bet, vayari akovet penei lavan, eneno imo kitmol sham. Yaakov saw the face of Lavan, and behold, it was not with him like it was yesterday or the day before. Uh, it's great Hebrew language. It's got a word for the day before yesterday and the day after tomorrow. Yeah. Pasuk Gimel, no Rashi. Vayoma Hashem, no Rashi on that. So Pasuk Gimel, Vayoma Hashem el Yaakov, Shuv el Eretz Avotecha, Ula mo ladatecha, ve'ehiye imach. Hashem said to Yaakov, return to the land of your father, fathers and to your birthplace, and I will be with you. Says Rashi, Shuv el Eretz Avotecha, Vasham Ehyeh Imach, and there I will be with you. So before we read further, what Rashi is doing is linking the last two words with the previous instruction. It's not Oh, and by the way, but rather, as, as Rashi often wants to do, by the way, to sort of maintain the integrity of the Passover, we often see this, that Rashi wants to show how if phrase A is immediately followed by phrase B, but there's some sort of linking between them. Not always, but quite often. So here he wants, Rashi says, it's by adding the word Vasham, it makes the Eyer Imach a consequence of Shuv al When you do the returning, then and there I will be with you. Now, so that's all very nice, but that Rush is going to go on to say why that's the case. But while you are still joined to the to a source of Tumah, it is impossible to make my Shekhinah dwell on you. Now, it's a few interesting things. So, <coughs> so again, the, the first part of Rashi is to say, it's because you are going to go home that I will, able to, I will be your God. So I will be with you. And then Rashi explains why, what's the process. Because while you're in Lavan's house, you are mechubar You are joined to something tame. Um, and therefore, it's impossible but I can make my shechina dwell uh, on you, rest on you. It's interesting the word ef shar. Um, I'll come back to that in just a moment. What, I think one of the, well, I think Rashi's answering at least two questions. Number one, as we said, what's the connection between shuv and ve'ehiyah imah? And number two, why can't Hashem be with Yaakov in Lavan's house? Hashem is everywhere. That's one of the things we know about Hashem. Hashem is everywhere. There's even a song about here, there, everywhere. So it doesn't, it, it, it needs explanation why he can't be with him in Lovin's house. And by the way, um, I don't think this um, Rashi here is of great Zionist intent. Um, you might have expected, and the Gemara talks about if you're outside of Israel, as if you have no God. There's a quote from David Amelach who says, when you chase me away from you, 
um, when Governor Melech had to leave Eretz Israel. And you might think, uh, I'm deliberately sort of going on a, a red herring here, you might think that the problem is where he's outside Eretz Israel, Hashem can't be with him, but when he's inside Eretz Israel, Hashem can be with him. That's not what Rashi says. Rashi says is the problem when you're in Lavan's house, you're Mechubara Tamei, and Tuma cannot coexist with Kedusha. That's the nature of Tuma. Um, as I've, uh, it's very important to stress, very important to stress. There's nothing wrong with being Tamei. Um, when the Bet Midrash comes and we are more involved in these Inyanim, which are currently theoretical and they'll become practical again, we will be very conscious that sometimes people and sometimes things are Tameh and sometimes they're not. There's nothing wrong with being Tameh. Um, many times we become Tameh for a natural process. If you're dealing with, a, if you're part of the Hebra Kedisha, you become very Tameh. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. The only problem with being Tameh is you can't go to the Bet Midrash and you can't eat Truma if you're a Kain and you can't eat Kodshim. Um, so the, the problem with Tumah is it cannot coexist with Kedusha. They are antithetical. And you might think that Hashem is omnipotent as well as um, om, everywhere. Omniscience? Um, om, no, they're not omniscient, omnipresent. Okay, so you might think Hashem is omnipresent, which is, gives the question why he can't be with Yaakov in Lavan's house. And you might also think that Hashem is omnipotent. So if he wants his Shekhinah to dwell somewhere, he can make it dwell somewhere. It's, it's as if that's saying there's, there's a law, obviously which Hashem created, but there's a law that Kedusha and Tumah can't coexist. And therefore, when Yaakov's there in a connection to a state of Tumah, which is, which is Lavan, then it's E-F-Shar, it's impossible, to make my Shekhinah dwell on you. Um, we have in Herak Yud Gimel, Pasuk Yud Dalet, um, Hashem appeared to Abraham after he had Lot had separated from Abraham. That was the time that Lot, uh, they, there wasn't enough room for Abraham and Lot to dwell together. Rashi says, because of the argument between the shepherds. So Abraham says to Lot, you go away, I'll, you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Um, and then immediately after, Hashem appeared to Abraham. And Rashi says there, All the time that the wicked person, Lot, was with Avraham, the Dibur, the Hashem's speaking to him, separated from him. Now, why am I bringing this? Well, we'll see in a moment. But the Maharal asks an obvious question. When Hashem appeared to Abraham previously, Lot was with him. When Hashem, Abraham arrived in Canaan and Hashem appears to him here and there, and Lot's with him. So why does Rashi say, only in Perigid that Hashem can only speak to Abraham after Lot has gone away? So the Maharaj says, when Lot was a dependent person, he was batel, he was neg negated in the presence of Abraham. He wasn't there in a sense. He didn't have enough chashivut. He didn't have enough independent status to be a problem for Hashem to appear to Abraham. He was there, but he didn't count. What happened in Perik Yud Gimel? That's after they've come back from Mitzrayim. Lot is now much more of an independent person. He's got lots of wealth, which he picked up in Mitzrayim as well. And also, he is now becoming antagonistic to Paro, sorry, to, to Abraham. And when he's becoming antagonistic to Abraham, then he counts. Counts to do what? To prevent Hashem speaking from Abraham. He's now become a personality in his own right. That's how the Maharal explains why Rashi says that Hashem can only speak to Abraham after Lot had departed, when before Lot had departed, Hashem did speak to Abraham, but now Lot has become an independent and, in a sense, antagonistic to Abraham, then he counts. And from that moment, Hashem can't speak to Abraham until Lot has disappeared. The, this perhaps answers a question with Rashi that we're learning at the moment. Why now? Why now, after 20 years, does Hashem say to Yaakov, we've got a problem, that you're here at Mechubar Tamei, you're joined to the Tumah, and therefore I can't speak to you, and therefore you have to go home. Why now? So I saw a suggestion that what I just said about Lot, based on the Maharal, we can also say about Lavan. What's Lavan doing at this moment? 
turning against Yaakov. Until this time, they were almost partners. Maybe that's stretching a little bit, but they were working for the same ends. Only now, the face of Laban is not like it was Kitmol Shulsham. The sons of Laban are speaking nastily about, uh, Laban, about uh, Yaakov. Suddenly, Laban is assuming a chashivut, a significance, an independence, and a separateness, an antagonisticness, an antagonism to Abraham, sorry, to Yaakov, which he hadn't displayed before. And maybe that would explain why, according to Rashi, Hashem says, at this particular moment, it's now impossible for me to um, dwell, cause my Shekhinah to dwell on you because you are connected to that Russia, that source of Tumma, that person called Lava. Yes. I'm not sure if you saw any of it, but just a few of the words <clears throat> reminded me of when Hashem says, Abraham Nechacha, right? Just comparing like, Me'artacha, Anwalatacha, Nabait I haven't seen that, but you're right. There are obvious parallels. Uh, so, Yaakov gets two. Go back to your... Well, that's one thing. Because Abraham was told, leave Artsakha. But, but Yaakov is not in his Artsakha. Yaakov's yeah. a stranger. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So when Abraham had grown up, yeah. I mean, whether it was Orkelskim or Haran, Makhlokia, Ibn Ezra and Ramban, um, but it was where he was living and choosing to live or living with his family and his parents. Um, so there's no Arzacha for Yaakov because he's not leaving his land. He's been a stranger in his land for 20 years. Um, and the other two are the same. Are they in the same order? Actually, Yes. In Ah, but now he's returning. In Abraham's case, he was he's leaving, done, yeah. and Yaakov's case, he's returning. So maybe the order's reversed. Worth thinking about. Thank you. So what does uh, Yaakov do next? Yaakov sent, and he called to Rochel and to Leah, to the field, to his flock. Uh, so notice his derech eretz to his wives, um, and in fact, in the next passage, he's going to well, a couple more after that. He's going to say, "Do you give me permission to go, for all of us to go?" Um, but first of all, Rashi uh, is interested, and Rashi's got a lot to say on the order in which the wives are named. So Rashi says, "Vayikra lerochel uleleya, lerochel techila, vaachakach leleya." First thing Rashi says is there's a significance in Vayikra la Rachel Ulaleya that it tells us that he called Rachel first before he called Leah. Now, how does it tell us that? Um, it's got it's like uh, the mother-in-law joke. If you, you buy two ties, you know, the present the mother-in-law gives you two ties as a present, and if you wear one, she says, Why aren't you wearing the other? <laughs> to which I want to say is he says he's got to call one before the wife. You can't put the word Rachel and Leah uh, at precisely the same moment. Hashem can say two words at once, but people can't. So maybe he has to say one before the other, and today he says Rachel before Leah. Ah, no, that's not good enough. Because if it's, the order was not significant, it doesn't have to name either. It could have just said, Vayikra el Nashav. He called to his wives. And it doesn't say that. So it deliberately uses the name. Uh, by the way, a little bit later on in this story, it talks about the Nashav as, as the wife without naming them all. Um, so the fact that it does name them is telling you, as Rashi says, it's Dafka Now we have to say why. Shehi Haita She, Rachel, was the mainstay of the house or the household. Yaakov Im Lava. Because of her. Yaakov engaged with Laban in the first place. Why was Yaakov, why did Abraham, sorry, Yaakov stay in Laban's house? Because he wanted to marry Rachel. Had he not wanted to marry Rachel, he might have said, after the month where he first enjoyed Laban's hospitality, he might have said, I'm off now. But he didn't. He stayed for seven years, which turned into 14 years, which turned into 20 years, all because he wanted to marry Rachel. And that shall be Shvela, Nizdaveg Yaakov in Laban. Then this Rashi gets harder, because Rashi then says the following. And even the children of Leah 
agreed with this. They agreed that Rochel has prominence. Shaharei, Boaz, Ubet Dino, Mishevet Yehuda. Boaz and his court, and they were from Shevet Yehuda. How do we know that Boaz was from Shevet Yehuda? Because, because he was, because at the end of uh, Megillat Ruot, it gives the Yichus of Boaz back to Yehuda. Um, uh, and they, Omrim, they said when they uh, wanted to, uh, at the wedding, if you like, of Boaz and Rut, they made a reference to Rachel and Leah in that order. And they are B'nai Yehuda, and Yehuda was from Leah. And nevertheless, they put Rachel first. They put Rachel before Leah. So that's the story. That's Rashi. Rashi says, number one, Yaakov Dafka, the Pasuk Dafka says, because Yaakov put Rachel before Leah. He put Rachel before Leah because she was the Akerita Bayat. Why was she the Akerita Bayat? Because only because of her, Yaakov engaged with Lavan in the first place. Then Rashi says, we find the same idea that Rachel comes before Leah, even said by the children, the descendants of Leah. So why does Rashi need to bring this extra bit about Boaz? So I'm not quite sure, to be honest, but let me offer um, a couple of suggestions. Number one, um, the, the, the uh, verbs in this verse are interesting. Vayishlach Yaakov, Vayikra, the Rachel Ruleah. What's Vayishlach? So Vayishlach must mean he sent a messenger. He sends a messenger, and through the messenger, he calls Rachel Leah. He doesn't shout in the distance, Rachel Leah. He sends a messenger. Now, who would, whom would he send? One of the kids, big kids or little kids? <laughs> Let's go with older. Okay, because Leah's got six kids. Rachel's only got one who is six years old. Leah's kids are older. So we can assume that she would say, he would send Reuben or Shimon, someone like that. And he sends Reuben with a message saying, go and call Rachel and Leah. Would Reuben be upset? Would Reuben object? No. How do I know? Because Rashi tells us that the descendants of Leah accepted the primacy of Rachel. You tut, because it's not very good, or because it's... No, no, just it, like uh, that would be hard on them. <coughs> yeah. Well, actually, it is hard, and I, I, there's a problem with that, because especially because we learn in the following week, Sedra, which we just read ourselves, about Reuven and Bilha, <coughs> which Rashi explains was Reuven wanted to deal with uh, what he saw as an insult to his mother. Bilha taking place. Yeah. So the other thing that, that I can suggest is that Rashi says that Rachel is the Akeret Habayit. And then Rashi says a reason for that, that only because of her, Yaakov engaged with Lavan. Now you might think, therefore, it's like a one-off thing that it only applies to that generation because in that generation, Yaakov's been with Lavan, it's been a bit of a hassle, but it's all been worth it because he got Rachel and that's why Rachel gets the primacy. That's why she's near Karatabad. Rashi wants to say, no, it's not just a one-off thing. It's not even just a one-generation thing. It's an ongoing status that Rachel has above Leah. And that's what Yaakov was referring to. It wasn't saying, you happen to be my, my preferred wife because of all the hassle I've been through. But rather, he was saying, you're the primary wife because you are quintessentially, existentially the primary wife. And we will see that that will carry on throughout the generations. And that's what Rashi's saying. I'm still, uh, I'm not totally satisfied with that because the classic question we always must ask is what problem in the Pasuk is Rashi answering? And even though I've given you two attempts, I don't think either of them really very well explain why we need that story, but Rashi obviously thinks that we do. Continues the Pasuk. Hey, Vayom Elahem, Yaakov said to them, to his wives, Ra'er anochi et p'nei avichen. Um, see, I have seen, or I am seeing the face of your father. Ki elai kitmol it's not like it was to me yesterday or the day before. Ve'eloke avi haya imodi. And the God of my father was with me. 
In other words, I've just had an instruction from Hashem to go back to uh, Eretz Yisrael. No rushing. And you know, speaking to Rachel and Leah, with all my might, all my power, I served your father. By the way, Rashi doesn't talk about this, and, and Rashi doesn't really get into these sort of psychological, emotional things, but it, it is um, definitely noteworthy that Yaakov is like saying to his wives, you know I've been good. You know I haven't done anything wrong. You know I've worked for your father. It sounds like, first of all, Yaakov has to justify himself, but it also sounds like Yaakov isn't sure, this is just my thought reading this verse, Yaakov isn't sure whose side Rachel and Leah are on. Are they loyal to their husband or are they loyal to their father? It sounds like Yaakov has to go out of his way to say, you should have no tainas on me. You should have no complaints that I have ill-treated your father because I haven't. I served him very well. But, Pasuk Zion, but Avichan, hetel bi, your father tricked me, et maskurti, and he swapped my wages, aseret monim. We'll see Rashi to tell us what that means. It means a number of times. And Hashem did not let him do bad with me. And Pasuk Chet, which I'll just glance at, says, Im ko yomar If he said that your um, reward will be the spotted sheep, and then all the flock were born spotted. And then he said, well, if you can have the sheep with the uh, white round their uh, wrists and ankles, they should, that should be your, your reward. And then that's what the type of sheep that all suddenly got born. So we see in Pasuket, that's what he means by your father switched my wages. And by the way, that explains why um, the different terms sort of kept, jumping in. We started with Nukudim, and then we later on we got Akudim, and later on we got um, the Tala'im, the patched ones, and they weren't in the original deal. This is in the, the previous Pesukim that we learned before. They weren't in the original deal. The, the deal, uh, if you read that the words seemed to change, and now we understand why, because yet Lavan kept changing the deal. Anyway, back to Rashi on Zion. So the problem that Rashi needs to address is what is Monim, and what is Aseret Monim? So Rashi says two things, and, and all the commentaries say this is really one thing. It looks like there's two comments of Rashi. It's really one. So on a serat monim, he says, Ein monim pachot asara. There's no monim less than 10. Now, what is monim? Well, okay, Rashi goes on to say monim. Lashon skum. It's an expression of amount. Kalal ha-cheshpah. The... the uh, generality of the counting or the hain asiriot and these monim are the tens so before we get to the last five words uh, let's see what rashi's done first of all the word of the word monim rashi doesn't actually spell out a translation uh, the rashbam does monim is the same as minyanim what is a minion accounting it doesn't just mean 10 people it certainly doesn't just mean a shiver call as it often does in this town but the word minion means where you go when someone dies. Um, so it doesn't mean 10 people, 10 uh, people who are making a quorum. It means accounting. That's what the word actually means. But then Rashi says, asara. There's no counting less than 10. In other words, it's a unit of a group of a, of a number. It's not the number one. It's a plural number. Now, what, what, is, what do people count in? So the answer is we naturally count in tens. The way the Maharal spells it out is because when you're counting up, you go one, two, three, five, six, seven, nine, ten. Only when you get to ten do you start a new, like a new set of numbering. Um, we call it place value, and we call it um, well. You, 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 when you get after nine, you carry one to the next column. So we count in units of ten, and uh, in fact, actually, I would say it like this. I, I can't quite remember the words of the Maharal, so I may not be quoting them exactly. But in our counting system, we have tens and units. Now, monim is a group. It's a counting number, which is the smallest counting number, but it's a plural, so it can't be one. Because that wouldn't be accounts. That would just be numbers, if you like. So it's 10. The next unit in which we count is 10. 
So that's what Rashi says. Monim is lashon sakum. It's an expression of amount. Kol cheshbon. It's the it's the counting. Vehein asiriot, and it actually means the tens. So Rashi is more precise. Rashi says monim. It doesn't just mean counting. It means counting in tens, and therefore aseret monim is the number of times with which Lavan changed the uh, deal, according to Yaakov. And hence Rashi says at the end of his comment. This teaches us that he changed the conditions a hundred times. The Mara says, why doesn't he just say he changed it a hundred times? So the Mara says that we can suggest that there was a cycle of 10 different um, salaries, if you like, nukudim, uh, akudim, various other combinations. And when he gets to number 10, he goes back and does the same thing again. So number one is, is Nukudim. Number 11 is Nukudim. Number 21 is Nukudim. That's the idea of a Seret Monim rather than just a Mea Pamim. If it had been Mea Pamim, you might say, well, every time Lavan thinks of a new um, way of doing things, there's a hundred different ways of doing things. And then you might think, well, maybe he realizes the previous one was a mistake and then I, I need a different one. And you might sort of justify it in your mind. When it's a serep monim, which the Maharal explains in this way, that uh, it's the same 10 being repeated over and over again, then Lavan's got no defense. He can't say, oh, I've just realized Nukudim is the wrong approach. It must be something else. If he's used Nukudim in number one, number 11, number 21, number 31. So if he's going back over and over again using the same cycle of wages, which he keeps changing, there's only one word for it. And that is Ramaut. That is trickery. There's no possible defense. So says the Maharal, that's the difference. This will answer one of your questions. That's the difference between Aseret Monim and Mea Pamim. Okay, continues the pastor. We're actually done with Chet, um, but I'll read it again just for completeness. If he said that uh, the spotted sheep should be your reward, then all the flock would bear um, spotted sheep. And if he said, um, I struggle to find a good translation. As I said, it means the ones with stripes around their ankles and wrists. If that's going to be your, your wages, then all the flock would be born in that way as well. Continues the pasuk, because there's no Rashi. And Hashem has saved the the cattle or the, 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 the property could be one or the other of your father and he has given it to me. So again, this is Yaakov, as it were, defending himself to Rachel and Leah and saying that there should be no complaint about how I've treated your father. On the contrary, he's tricked me and yet Hashem arranged it, but the sheep will be born in the way that benefits me. And then he says, Impossible Yud, Vayehi be'eit yecham hadson. It was at the time when the flock got heated, in other words, when it came to mating, I lifted up my eyes, and I saw in a dream, behold, the rams, who are going up on the flock, in other words, they're impregnating the ewes, they were akudim, that's striped around their ankles. Nukudim, that's uh, spotted. Uvarudim, now that's another word. Um, one translation I saw is grizzled. Another translation is um, ringed. Rashi will tell us what it means. So what Yaakov is saying is, I saw in a dream something about sheep. Now, I, I, I'm personally not 100% clear, uh, and I think, well, it may be ambiguous or may not. Um, it could be that Yaakov is explaining that this is the dream he had before he started the whole speckled spotted sheep business. And this tells him, this is the time when he's telling his wife where he got the idea from. Because that is a big question. Because going back, Lavan says to Yaakov, what do you want to be paid? And Yaakov says, I'll tell you what, I want a special arrangement about spotted sheep. And there's no clue where he got that idea from. And it seems that Either he was very clever or Hashem was helping him or a bit of both. Um, um, 
So how did he know that Hashem was going to help him? How did he know that miracles were going to happen on his behalf? Or maybe he didn't. Anyway, these are all questions. Um, having said that, I think from the rush you were about to see, it's quite clear that it was not uh, earlier on, but it's rather now. Six years after the deal came into effect, Yaakov's built up lots of sheep. This is now the time he gets to dream, which sort of fits chronologically. Um, now, what does Rashi say? Behold the rams, says Rashi. Af Even though Lavan had separated all of them, so that the flock do not bear lambs, um, which are like in the same pattern, literally, as the spotted sheep. So just pause for a minute. What he's saying is the rams, um, the rams in the dream were akudim nukudim vurudim. They were the, let's just call them multicolored ones. Rashi says, that's going to be a problem because Yaakov, sorry, Lavan had separated all those um, multicolored sheep. That was how the deal was set up. The first thing that happened was Lavan took away any sheep that was discolored. And in order to avoid them being the ones who would pass on their um, physical characteristics through their genes to the next generation of sheep. So how could he see in his dream that these um, multicolored rams were coming to the flock if the multicolored rams had all been taken away by Lavan? Which is why I say the dream must have been after the deal started. And the answer is, says Rashi, Hayu hamalachim the Malachim, angels, were bringing them, were bringing the multicolored rams from the flocks that had been put into the hands of the sons of Lavan to the flock which was in the hand of Yaakov. So we have divine intervention big time. The whole reason that more speckled, spotted, striped sheep were born was because even though Yaakov and Lavan had started the arrangement that all the rams that could um, pass on their spottedness were moved out of the picture, the Malachim brought them back. And that, says Rashi, explains what Yaakov was dreaming about. So let's see, why does Rashi say this? So one thing to say is, um, if the rams that were coming on the flock were Yaakov's own rams, then he doesn't need a dream to tell him that. Now, just to be clear, so what I've said might be a little bit confusing, that when the arrangement was set up, Lavan took away all the speckled spotted sheep and rams. Thereafter, if speckled spotted sheep were born, they belonged to Yaakov, that was the deal, and he could use them to bring about the next generation and the generation after that and generation after that. Um, so there were, if you like, legitimate spotted rams impregnating the sheep. They were Yaakov's own rams. But Yaakov doesn't need a dream to tell him that because he can see that for himself. He knows he's arranging it. So the spotted rams are the ones who are coming to the flock. So the dream must tell him something extra, something over and above that. So Rashi brings the Midrash, but the dream tells him that in addition to his own rams, that Hashem, through the Malachim, was bringing him some of, of Laban's lambs. Now, by the way, this raises a question. I, I alluded to this a moment ago. The whole business with the sticks which Yaakov peeled, which somehow encouraged the... Um, female sheep to bear spotted lambs. Um, was that uh, a nace? Was it Yaakov's clever animal husbandry? Was it a bit of both? So the answer still could be any of those, to be honest. But we could say, we could either say that it's Zev Zer Gorem, in other words, Hashem is miraculously using the Malachim to bring the sheep from Lavan's flock to Yaakov's flock. And Yaakov is helping a bit because it's important that we all have to do our own Douglas. Nobody can rely on a miracle. And even if you are relying on a miracle, you have to do your bit to minimize the miracle. Uh, or you can go one stage further. You could say that it was all a miracle, 
And the whole business with the sticks was just a sort of cover story so that people should think it was something natural and not realize it was something totally miraculous. Um, it's also the case that he, why, why is he telling about this dream? He's telling about this dream to whom? To Rachel and Leah. And the theme of this section is that he's telling Rachel and Leah, I didn't trick your father. He tried to trick me, but I didn't trick your father. And you might think the whole speckled spotted sheep bit is a bit dodgy. Where did all this come from? How did you know what to do? And the answer is, it came from Hashem. It came from a Kaddish Parakul. Because Hashem was sending the rams to me. And therefore, that must be totally legit. And you, Rachel Alea, should have no objection to what happened. And that is what they say. I'm sorry, no, we haven't finished because we need Rashi on the last type of um, um, discolored sheep. His last words are berudim, after akudim, nukudim, uberudim. So Rashi needs to tell us what that means. Uberudim, katargumo, ufatsichim. The targum onkelos of berudim is fatsichim. And what does fatsichim mean? It means open. Uh, Rashi um, on Perikaf Hay Pasuk Tet Zion, you can look there in a completely different context, but it's the same word in the Targum, not about sheep or anything, but it means, Rashi says there also it means open. Um, but we'll see what open has got to do with these sheep in just a moment. Then he brings a French word, something like Fassi, which means checkered, like different colors. And then Rashi says, a thread of white surrounds its body all around. Its spots. And we saw earlier, Rashi said there are big spots on one type of sheep and there's small spots on another type of sheep. But in this case, the spots are open. In other words, they merge one into another. And they go all the way, well, they go all the way from one end to the other. Mufulash um, in, in uh, Masechet Eruvin is an alleyway which is open at both ends. So if you have a white, uh, he says chut, well, translation is not thread as it normally is, but it means that a white ring all around the sheep, Mufulash, uh, it goes all the way from one end to the other. Um, that's what Vrudim means, based on the Targum, which translates it as open. In other words, the spots are open because they all join into one big circle. And then Rashi says, There's no other support for this in the Tanakh. You don't find a word, this word used anywhere else. So Rashi has to work out what it means based on the Targum and based on his understanding of the implication of the word in the Targum. So that, Rashi, I feel quite confident about is just telling you what the word means because we haven't had it before and we will never have it again. <laughs> well, nowhere else in the Kodesh. <laughs> when he says Mikro, does he mean Skumash specifically? Because sometimes they'll quote Tanakh. No, I think as I, uh, we, the fancy word is scripture. Yeah. So it's Tanakh. Yeah. Yeah. Because if they were a, yeah, if there were support elsewhere in Tanakh, he would bring it. What's that? Exactly. Uh, which is the Greek for a word that only occurs once. Pasuk Yud Aleph, Vayome Eli Malach Elohim Bechalom Yaakov, Vayome Hineni. He continues talking about the dream. The angel of God said to him in the dream, Yaakov, and he said, Here I am. Pasuk Yud Bet, Vayome Sana Enecha Uraei Kol Haudim Olam Alatzon Akudim Nukudim Uvrudim. And the angel said, No, if you haven't got the message yet, Please get the point. Lift up your eyes and see all the rams that are going up on the flock are akudim, nukudim, uvrudim. Three different types of discolorization. Kira'iti et kol asher lavan oset lach. Because I, Hashem, have seen all that lavan has done to you. Still no Rashi, but there is on the next one. Anochi hakel beit el. I am the God of beit el. Asher mashachta sham matseva where you anointed there, I'm using Rashi actually, the matseva, the pillar, where you made for me a neder, a vow, now, kum, get up, 
יצא מן הארץ הזאת, leave this land, ושוב על ארץ מולדתך, and go return to the land of your birthplace. And the next passage is going to be the reaction of Rachel Alea to this proposal. So this is the conclusion of the dream and the message from Hashem, which Yaakov is explaining to his wives. So there's a few things that Rashi has to say about in this passage Yud Gimel. And the first is a simple grammatical one. Rashi says there's a problem with hakel beit el. It should kamo, what it means is el beit, kel beit el. What's the problem? Okay, what do we know about smichut in Hebrew? You cannot put the definite article on the first word in a smichut. Um, Sefer Torah, if you make it the Sefer Torah, how do you say that in Hebrew? Sefer HaTorah. Ha Sefer Torah is wrong. We all learned that quite early on in our diktuk lessons. Yes? <laughs> right. And so he should get really annoyed with the Chumash. In fact, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself, who says, HaKel Beit El. So El Beit El is the God of Beit El. So it can't be HaKel Beit El. So Rashi says, Kamo Kel Beit El, as if the hay is not there. HaHey Yatera. This hay is extra which means don't worry about it. I can't say it shouldn't be there because it is there, but it means um, don't worry about it. The derech mikra'ot ledaber kein, and it is the way of Pesukim to speak thus. In other words, sometimes this rule is broken. Sometimes this rule of never putting a hay before the first word doesn't apply. Kumo ki atem ba'im el ha'eret kana'an. Bamid b'peret lamadalad. You are coming into what's Eretz Canaan? That's a smichut, the land of Canaan. It's not the land, comma, Canaan. Oh, they can't, they couldn't be saying Eretz, the land Canaan. Um, Rashi obviously assumes not. Um, I haven't checked the, checked the trot, which would be one place to look. Um, and I suspect, no, Eretz. Um, you'll have to remind me if that's in smichut fashion already because of the Nikud. Um, but Rashi certainly reads it as Eretz Canaan, the land of Canaan. And therefore you shouldn't have Ha Eretz Canaan, but you do. And Rashi's point is, chill, <laughs> it occasionally happens. Now, um, I've just got time to do the next Rashi because there's a, quite a bit to say. No, in fact, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to do the next Rashi because there's a lot to say. So we will pause there. Sorry? Okay, just by the way, the next word is Mashachta, which means well, it's something to do with oil, which will be very good for us to pick up on the first night of Hanukkah. Your question, or your um, point? Um, is there any particular reason why in a case like this, where she kind of just goes, okay, well, this grammar is wrong, but in other cases, he goes like on and on and on, like trying to make it work and work out a reason why? Okay, um, no, I don't know. I don't know. I suspect not all cases are the same. Um, you would have a very strong question if there was another place where there was a hay before the first word is a smichut and Rashi made a fuss of that. Yeah. I don't know if there is. I don't know if there isn't, but I don't recall one. Um, so it may be the answer to your question, if, if there aren't any, if there's no counterexample, is this is the sort of thing about which you can chill. And others, perhaps, he's not so relaxed. Okay, we will stop there. We will pick it up from Mashach Tasham in Pasuk Yud Gimel next week at the earlier time of eight o'clock. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.